Last week, my guest Max Burton and I were talking about tree care, and we wanted to talk about Christmas tree selection and whether it's a good idea to buy a live tree or whether you want to buy a cut tree, and we just ran out of time. So we're going to continue that conversation right here, right now, on Kendrew's Real Dirt, Gardening 2.0. I recently spoke with Max Burton, who is who is a tree expert, but uh, during our chat, I kind of challenged Max to talk a little bit about Christmas trees, and we didn't really have a chance to. And uh, Max admits that, uh, if I can say it, growing up Jewish, <laughs> he didn't have a lot of experience with Christmas trees, but he has a lot of experience with trees. And I think between the two of us, we're going to come up with uh, some interesting things to suggest to do and to not do when choosing a tree for your holiday. Uh and maybe a live tree, maybe not a live tree, and some of the non-live choices. And I want to welcome Max again to Ken Drew's Real Dirt. Thanks for having me back. Wow. Uh, we know too much. We have to think about, <laughs> you know, on the <laughs> it's last... It's a good problem to have, I guess. I guess. Well, on the last show, I went into that thing with my hand because uh, we're talking about inclusions and trees, and it's, it's hard to picture that. Uh, yeah. Without seeing it. And that's... I don't want to say that's sophisticated, but it's... It, it's something to learn, and it's it, all of this is, to me is very exciting and very interesting. And and knowing your plants and knowing your trees as individuals—that's the, really the way to understand them and care for them. And I I liked what I think that what we came out of that last uh, talk about learning and hearing is is better not to do anything <laughs> to your trees yeah. than to do too much. A lot of times that's the case. And ultimately, uh, you know, be skeptical and, and always remind yourself that there's there's more that you there's more to learn that you don't know and there's more to forget that you think you do know that's wrong. You know, we talked about or actually I brought up the idea of planting of buying a live tree and uh, for for the holidays and uh, I, I picture this three-foot-tall bald and burlap tree. Uh, mm-hmm. on the, in most of the country, you buy trees that are bald and burlap. On the West Coast, they're usually almost always grown in containers, and in the South, too, often. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we've got some kind of conifer. A, a lot of people think that all conifers are pines. but Yeah, they just not, say pine. <laughs> they basically say pine. <laughs> I, get, I get that a lot. But uh, you buy a needle-leaf conifer, and... Uh, and then you think, I'm going to buy it. I'm going to be good to the environment. I'm not going to cut down a tree. And uh, you're going to buy a, a live tree. And and I don't think that's a bad idea. And I know you can tell me why that's not the best idea. But I, when I picture a live tree, I say to people, three days. You can have this tree inside for three days. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Because if you if you have a, a heated room and lights on a live tree, uh, it's it's going to start to, you know, this tree wants to be outdoors in the cold. It yeah. doesn't want to be in the living room. It's going to be just as upset as you would be if you got set up outside with lights on you. Well, maybe the thing to do is buy a cut tree for inside, buy a live tree for outside. And you would recommend thinking about the future. <laughs> you know, people buy, well, I see it all the time, even planting. You go to the nursery and you see a two-foot-tall blue Colorado spruce, and mm-hmm. you think it's a shrub. Yeah, oh, it's this cute little thing, and, and boy, does it really block a view. Like, I can't see through this thing at all, and it's just the right size and so easy to move around. This this I know right where this fits, and you probably do, but how long are you going to live at that house, and, and how big is that tree going to be uh, in, in a little while, and however long you're going to be there? Blue spruces get to be 60 to 70 feet tall with a 30 to 40 foot spread, 
do you have room for a tree like that? <laughs> if you don't, then you might not want to buy all of that topsoil that's coming with it. Right, and you don't want to buy a, a living Christmas tree, quote-unquote Christmas tree, that's alive, right. and then plant it uh, next to the driveway, uh, not realizing that this is this is going to be a tree. This is yeah. going to be a big tree. Uh, so I think about digging a hole in advance, but you would, you would say, think about long Think about not term. planting it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, think I about that. Yeah. I, I don't know if this is advice that's in my best interest to give out because honestly, uh, uh, people's bad decisions about Christmas trees put a lot of food on my table because those <laughs> things can be anywhere from one to four thousand dollars to cut down when they get too big. Wow. So forget what I said. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, let's say uh, let's say we're we're gonna not plant uh, buy and plant a live tree. Uh, mm -hmm. Unless we really have thought this out and realized that this is going to be a tree that's going to be with us for a lifetime and mm -hmm. that it has to go in the right place. So we're going to buy a cut tree and, uh, and people think that's, a lot of people think that's cruel. You know, it's like buying a puppy. <laughs> if you're buying a live tree, you don't buy a puppy for, like some people do, for a holiday and yeah. then you're stuck with a puppy. But the, that's that's really not the way to do it. But if you're going to buy a cut tree, it, it's really a good idea to realize this is a, a farming, this is a product of agriculture. Mm -hmm. This is a plant that's grown in rows, just like beets or something else. It just has grown for a little bit longer. So you're not really cutting down something that, well, it is alive, but I guess those beets were alive too. It's a re yeah, but they're renewable resources. You know, everyone wants to, everyone wants to stop you from using paper to save the trees, but, um, you know, nobody's stopping you from, um, eating hash browns to save the potatoes. They're mm -hmm. a renewable resource. So, and and uh, you know, as as much as we love to um, project, they they don't have thoughts and feelings. And it's not a crime if you if you want to temporarily make use of a li of of a plant for decorative purposes and then and then put it to use as compost afterwards. Well, you know, in many ways, it's actually uh, environmentally superior to certain agricultural crops because while that tree is growing it is absorbing co2 mm -hmm. uh, and it and as you said it's completely recyclable which we can talk about in a moment yeah. you know a lot I'd, of i'd also be tempted to think about the carbon footprint of the tremendous amount of effort it would take me to drag one of these 200 pound trees into my house up the stairs and to where it's got not got to be to get set up as a christmas tree there's got to be some spent calories there that are wasted i guess you mean if it's a live tree yeah yeah well we're going to we're going to let that go. We're just going to okay, all send right. away the live trees. We're just going to think about the Okay, enough of that. Sure. Uh, I see balsam firs everywhere, and mm -hmm. uh, those are usually the ones that are just about the most popular in my area for Christmas trees. And what a lot of people mm -hmm. don't know is those are those are from Canada usually, and they're, they're cut in probably August, and they're put in refrigerator trucks, and uh, not always, but often. And you can go mm -hmm. to christmas tree farms and cut your own or have them cut right for you but uh, do you know some of the different uh varieties of trees that are popular and and are there any that you might recommend i recommend buying whatever looks good because that's what you're doing with this thing if it's a cut tree it's decorative and if you look at it and you say this looks like it would look good in my spot that i've got picked out then that's the right tree for you there are differences in needle drop and in how sharp they are and, you know, different kinds of temperament and things like that. But, but ultimately, if this is a plant that's being used for decoration, uh, then that should be priority one, in my opinion. But that's a personal opinion, I think. Well, you said something about how sharp they are. In the, if you've got that blue Colorado spruce and you think you're going to decorate it... Uh, 
have the band-aids ready. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. absolutely. But you know what? Some for some people, that's worth it, and um, they're they're welcome to it. Well, Good luck. Go, Wear long you, sleeves. Right. Really, uh, Kevlar long sleeves. Yeah. Right. If you go to uh, a lot where they, you know, like a parking lot or something where they're selling them maybe in a town and the trees are already cut. Uh, what are some of the things that you should look for when buying a cut tree to make sure that it's the best and the freshest that you can get? Uh, well, it's never a bad idea to just run your fingers along the needles and, and really reach in and just uh, lightly stroke an entire branch and see how many needles fall off when you do that. Um, because if it's, it's, if it's already crispy, then you probably shouldn't buy it. Um, you want to make sure, obviously, that that it looks right and that it looks right all the way around, and um, and make sure that you are either ready or there's someone else there that's ready to help you get this thing loaded and to your house without destroying it. Mm, right. Uh, so now you get the tree, you buy it, and you bring it home. And what do you do when you get home? Uh, you want to recut the end, pretty much no matter what. Uh, a lot of times the guys will do that for you on the spot with a chainsaw, which is not helpful. Uh, it needs to be hand cut because you need a nice flush surface so that can that's freshly cut so it can absorb the water. Uh, you want to make sure that it's watered up and you know decorate it how you want. But it is worth bearing in mind that the very large uh, hot lights are not only potentially a fire hazard, although really the lights that are a fire hazard are hard to find these days. Yeah. Uh, but they but they are still warm enough that they can cause the tree to potentially drop its needles. Well, you, t you mentioned water, and uh, I still see tree stands for sale that don't have any reservoir at all. But I, I would, we both agree that the m more water you can give this tree without stopping, the better yeah, it is. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's going to be in a hot, dry room, and it's it going to start transpiring, and it's going to do it pretty much as fast as it can. So it can easily empty, depending on the size of the reservoir, a lot of these trees can empty them overnight yeah so it, the longer you keep up with that the less the needles are going to drop off if you're only going to have the thing in your house for a day it probably doesn't even matter uh although me personally i'd probably still water it anyway yeah i'll tell you i don't think that anybody leaves it for a day and uh i, <laughs> I remember i've in my lifetime i've had trees up till april <laughs> which is a terrible <laughs> thing but uh, whatever floats your boat well, when I, when I got trees in the old days, when I really wanted them to be around, I would uh, spray them with wilt-proof, which is an mm -hmm. anti-desiccant. Yep. Uh, and I usually, I'm not, I, I haven't done a control, so I don't know if this is the best thing, but I usually do make a kind of a, a my own preservative. Uh, and I just use some something for citric acid and something for sugar and something to stop uh, pathogens or, or mold or whatever's going to, you know, bacteria from growing and clogging up the bottom of that stump that you've recut and it's in water. And I, I've used things like uh, Sprite and 7-Up and, <laughs> and a little bit of bleach in the water. And I, I think it helps. Maybe it just makes me feel better. <laughs> uh, I was going to say that's probably just making you feel better. And I have, <laughs> I have found that when people, uh, when people do things that don't hurt anything that makes them feel good, I don't tend to argue. <laughs> Well, I know with cut flowers, these things help. I don't. Maybe I'm just. Uh... Uh, th yeah, there can be there can be some help to cut flowers, uh, which of course desiccate a lot more quickly than than trees. Uh, I I frankly haven't seen any research on it, so so I don't know anything beyond the fact that I, I do know uh, that there's no way that the trees can directly absorb sugar. So so anything like that is 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 going to be counterproductive of anything. I also know that uh, the trees are going to clog their own vessels, or in the mm. case of they're actually trachids in. 
conifers. Uh, they're going to clog them on their own defensively long before um, any kind of pathogen or anything that we put in there clogs it. So ultimately, the, the thing that matters most is water. But uh, if there's someone on the house that's insisting on putting a teaspoon of bleach in there or something like that, it's not going to hurt anything. At least, not to an important degree. Okay, well, I hear you. So, now let's say it's uh, January, and you're not Ken, and you're not leaving your tree up till April. <laughs> uh, okay. And and my needles didn't drop, probably because I glued them to the trees with the wilt proof. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Which is like an acrylic uh, that does seal in moisture. and Yeah, it just puts the thing in stasis. like It's like in, encasing it in ember. Yep, yep. So... Uh, we, of course, we don't use tinsel anymore. If we do, we're going to pick all that tinsel off before we put the tree out on the curb. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, what happens to a tree after the holidays when it's either put out on the curb or what would you do with your own tree if you don't have a, a municipal pickup service for used Christmas trees, which now almost every city has? Well, there's no way, almost no way, that I would recommend letting one of these things get put in the, in the trash. Uh, because that's that's pretty much the worst possible solution, environmentally speaking. It's just a tremendous waste of resources, and in all likelihood, it's going to be buried in a landfill where the, there's no oxygen and it will never decay. You can you can actually compost it. You can leave it out at, at the edge of your woods as a place for birds to hide and other small animals. If you've got tree work planned. You can just give it to the crew and they'll chip it. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or if you know any neighbors, a lot of times these guys will be happy to run the tree through the chipper for, for a fiver. In some municipalities, for example, in New York City, they pick them up and they chip them. Yeah. Uh, so that they don't just uh, put them in the landfill. And oh, it- sure. If it's if it's not, I, I was. Ta- I'm sorry, I misunderstood. You. I was talking about actually putting out for the trash. If it's if it's a, a an actual municipal tree pickup, then sure, uh, let it get chipped up and. Hopefully they'll put it to use. Well, and uh, you can also cut the branches off and use them as a, a good kind of mulch, which is just to keep the certain plants, maybe perennials, from getting sun too much sun and changing the temperature of the soil too fast, which causes uh, perennials to heave sometimes out of the ground. Mm-hmm. I've used the boughs of the old trees in January uh, just to shade the ground. That that sounds like great ideas. I'm, I'm glad you're on this call. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we're learning from each other. Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, I generally, uh, you know, what, what I've always done with my Christmas trees is I, I just I put them in the compost. Uh, but I'm a big composter, so if you're not into that or you don't have the space, then, yeah, just uh, find, either either wait for there to be some tree work getting done somewhere. It'll get chipped up and, and put to use, uh, depending on your area. Almost all wood waste is put to good use. Well, when you talk about compost, are you talking about you put your whole tree in the compost? Or yes, do you, I do. So you don't cut it up at all? I don't bother. Oh, so how how long does it take a tree to break down in your compost? A long time. <laughs> a long time. Yeah, a couple of years. It works. A couple of years. That sounds pretty good. Well, what happens is, yeah, I, I also do hugel culture, so I have um, I have wood waste underneath all the soil in my raised beds. So anything that any wood that doesn't get decomposed in the pile it, that comes out half rotted goes at the bottom of the raised beds. Okay. Now, what do you have? It's called hugel culture. What's that? It's, um, it's something, it's something that I didn't find out about until my German wife told me, but it's very common in Germany. You just make a pile of wood, you cover it with a thin layer of topsoil and you grow your, your vegetables on it and it works phenomenally. And the wood eventually breaks down? Yeah. Yep. The wood, you know, it gets soft and punky and a lot of times it starts out that way and the plants grow right into it and break it apart and rot it out. 
And uh, the other thing for a, that's great for a lazy guy like me is the fact that because it sinks and settles and heaves over time, um, eventually your raised bed is only, you know, the, the soil line is half where it was, and, and you just add more stuff on top, and you never have to turn it. Right. Well, I'm into the whole, the new no-till movement, if you're familiar with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that sounds. You you are a lazy gardener. I th- I think that uh, laziness is the mother of invention. Laziness for me is priority one. <laughs> Except in your professional work, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I always do. You know, well, what I do is I do the best job that I can so that it's over soon. Well, uh, do you call yourself an arborist? Absolutely. I'm a certified arborist. Certified arborist. And mm-hmm. uh, I should mention that Max Burton, who is a certified arborist, is with Monster Tree Service, and you're in the Philadelphia area. And we, we're just sort of chatting here. We've been talking about Christmas trees and Christmas tree aftercare, and before, during, and aftercare, and choosing a Christmas tree. And uh, at this time of year and in the winter, what are some of the tasks that an arborist might take on in the very cold months? And don't tell me plowing snow. <laughs> uh, no, we don't do that. Um, I, it's funny. I get asked about that a lot, and I'm just thinking, like, why would I? Why would I plow snow? I, I don't plow snow. I don't do. Uh, I, I don't make my own blankets and sell those at the farmers market. I, I don't do any unrelated stuff. So, um, yeah, we do, we do tree care still. Uh, a lot of our very smart customers have tree work that they lined up during the season, the growing season, when they called us, that we're now coming back to do at a at a, a discounted price on account of the weather and the season. There are um, lots of, there's always tree removal to do. There's transplanting and planting to do. So yeah, we're very busy. Oh, that's interesting. So you, people call you, I'm sure they call you in the spring when they notice there's a problem, like with Mm -hmm. everything in gardening and, and then they want you to come immediately and you have too many people. Uh, To to me, if I'm going to have tree work done, I'm thinking, how can you do the work if you can't see the tree because of all the leaves? So Ah, uh, but we can. Well, but my thought is to wait until the leaves drop. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, we, we get the opposite question. A lot of people want to know, well, how can you tell if the branches are dead if, 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 if there's no leaves? Um, but we can tell. Right. No, I'm, I'm just – because I'm going to have some tree work done here, mm-hmm. uh, and it's, I'm sorry that I'm so far from you. <laughs> <laughs> Not for long. We're opening franchises all over the country, so I'm ah. sure we'll be in your, when you're in your, in your backyard before you know it. It might be too late. <laughs> <laughs> I've got uh, a dead hemlock, uh, and I have a dead um, blue Colorado spruce, which is over 100 feet tall. Oh, goodness. And uh, there's garden all around it, and it's going to mm-hmm. be quite a challenge. We're going to tie ropes to other trees to try to pull this tree in the only direction that it can fall without damaging tons of other trees. Good. Um, and I've got sounds like fun. <laughs> it sounds like fun. Yeah. And I've got one tree that's about partially dead, and nobody will take it on because really, it's, it's everyone says it's too dangerous to climb, and it's hanging over a wall, and it's going to come down by itself, but it's going to hmm. be a bad thing when it happens. But um, I'm sorry to hear that. I've yet to encounter personally a tree that I couldn't find a way to take down, but. Uh, I do often, we, for some reason, we've earned a reputation for uh, being able to take on any task, and we, we get referred by people that we don't know, companies we don't know all the time, to take down difficult trees. But as long as you're willing to, to take your time and you have the right people, almost anything is possible. But when a tree is, is too, too dangerous to climb, it really does limit your options, but there is almost always a way. 
there I've been on jobs where we actually had to build a scaffold around a tree we were taking down. Well, I ha I should have mentioned that there's no way to get machinery uh, mm -hmm. to this location. Yeah. Uh, so that's I mean otherwise there you have uh, I don't know what you call them I guess uh, there's all different things there's like those scissors ones for low and then there's cranes and I know mm -hmm. that with uh, monster tree service you have all the the equipment oh yeah we have a crane we have equipment. a bucket yeah a bucket right yeah latest and greatest uh, we we definitely try to keep all of our equipment as new as possible just so that we don't have any issues with it but yeah a lot of the jobs we do there's no way to get to it other than by hoof so we hoof it well how can we how can we inform people how can we educate people not only just to choose the right person but to know a little bit more about their their trees and a little bit more <clears throat> about tree problems and and how can we educate you know you're in pennsylvania and some of the worst tree pruning i've ever seen is in pennsylvania <laughs> if, do you know the towns that sound like they're in maine there's bangor and mm -hmm. uh, uh, if you ever drive through those towns and see what the electric companies have done to trees, topping yeah. trees, it's it's the worst I've ever seen in the whole country, and it's right there. Yeah, the only worst arboriculture in the area is being done on the residential properties. Uh, we, uh, I'll tell you that we sometimes run into people who insist on having their trees topped, and uh, the only way I could dissuade them, I, I tell them that... Uh, First of all, it's probably going to harm the tree, and it's definitely going to be detrimental. They have to sign off on that. Um, they have to absolve us of all the consequences. I tell them as well that they're not going to get a yard sign in their lawn. This is all bluffing. Um, <laughs> but then once I do that, then they finally, they finally let me tell them how I can take better care of their tree for a lower price. But, well, you know, it takes, it takes a guy like me to prioritize doing the right thing over profit to, uh, for a person to get educated by force like that. Well, I'm, uh, I, I can't ask you to give your time for free, but I, I think that you should offer lectures to the power companies <laughs> and, and come and give them little talks and show pictures because uh, I know you know what you're doing and we've talked about that, but uh, yeah, too many people don't. Well, as for, I'll, uh, to answer your earlier question, a good place to start is treesaregood.com. That's a website that is run by the International Society of Arboriculture, which is the the nonprofit industry, uh, not not industry association. That's the TCA. It's a nonprofit that certifies me, and uh, they've got some they've got some basic information here about uh, why hire an arborist and uh, information about different kinds of trees and how to prune and stuff like that. It's a great starting place. And then after reading that, if you want to keep going, then then just start looking up the stuff you've already read about and see what other people's ideas about it are. But most importantly is having a good relationship with an arborist that you trust and, and being able to depend on them for the case-by-case -case information that you're going to need. Because a lot of times you run into a rule of thumb that seems like it makes sense, but it just doesn't apply for your particular situation. If somebody called and said they just wanted to, they don't think anything's wrong, but they'd like to have some advice and have you look at their property, uh, d does your company do that? Absolutely. We take those calls and I go do it. I did one just this morning. I looked at a tree. The guy was worried that it was going to fall on his house, and uh, I, I said that uh, uh, you know we're, we're having an issue with the emerald ash borer in this area, and I said yeah. that it, it, it may have been attacked, but I, I couldn't tell. Um, I was finding boreholes, but the bark was too irregular for me to measure them. So I said, uh, there's no imminent threat here, so why don't we meet back up in the spring? And that's, and that's what we're going to do. So uh, some people might think that that's wasted time. You know, I know some sales managers out there that would be upset with that use of my time. 
but that guy's going to be a customer for life because I'm going to meet back out there with him in the spring. Eventually, it's going to lead to to, to food on my table. But <laughs> now he knows that he's got a guy he can trust. Well, that long-term thinking, that's that's too rare these days. And when you're dealing with trees that live for a really long time, I think that's the way to think. I've been speaking with Max Burton. He's a certified arborist and a tree expert with Monster Tree Service in the Philadelphia area. And Monster Tree Service, Service is going to be coming to an area near you, perhaps, because it is a franchise, and uh, I know that you're growing. Yes, we are, very rapidly, scarily fast. Oh, uh-oh. <laughs> well, trees don't do that. <laughs> no, no, they don't. Although, although people always tell me how surprised they are by how big the tree got. Well, it wasn't. It, it wasn't fifty years ago. That thing was just a stick. Like, <laughs> yeah, I guess it was that long. Well, th- there's nothing like time, especially in the garden. And yeah. thank you again for joining me. And uh, perhaps we'll chat again sometime. I look forward to it with great anticipation. Thank you. Please join me again next week for another edition of Ken Drew's Real Dirt Gardening 2.0. 